Welcome to a brand new season of the We Are Wayfarers podcast. This is Ben and Crystal Woods. Together, we lead the Brave Way Home, a discipleship ministry aimed at calling and equipping fellow wayfarers, fellow believers to deeper living with eyes fixed on Jesus and hearts set on heaven. We're excited to jump back in, focusing this specific season on hope. Hope even in hardship and disappointment, hope in the everyday. And we begin our conversation by just acknowledging the reality of grief. So this is season four, episode one, where we lean into what grief is and what grief isn't. Thank you for joining us. everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. It's good to be back for another season. Yeah. Welcome, everybody. We're so thankful that you're tagging in with us and listening along. And so it's good to be back in the mix podcasting. Yeah. We're a little rusty. (laughs) I kind of forgot all the buttons and switchy knobbies (laughs) what they do. So hopefully this all works. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, yeah. Spring has sprung. Uh, Our allergies, mine are going nuts. How about yours? Yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean, if you hear Darth Vader joining us, it's not a special guest. It's Crystal, because I don't know where her inhaler is. So. It's right here, but I, I just have to breathe. It okay. has to happen. So, but hey, this is the time of year. I mean, leaves are coming out. Flowers are blooming. Like, grass is growing. We're mowing. I'm mowing. You're never mowing. Um, the fish <laughs> pond fountains are flowing, right? Oh, you and your fish pond. You had to bring that into it. I mean... <laughs> I love my fish and my fish love me. Yes, yes. For everybody listening who's not familiar, we have a koi pond in our backyard. Um, and Ben is borderline obsessed with it. Hey, come on! <laughs> why, why are you throwing punches? I mean, we're like two minutes into this. Oh, you do work really, really hard um, back there. And it is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It is beautiful. Yeah. It is beautiful. Anything else you want to talk about today? <laughs> Hey, we're coming off of a break, gang, and Crystal's feeling a bit feisty, I suppose. But no, we haven't been on break. We've been taking a break from podcasting, you know, to give some attention to a whole host of other ministry expressions. I mean, we've we've been a lot of places doing a lot of teaching and speaking. Um, yeah, we've been traveling a lot, but we've also been like doing a lot of behind the scenes work, kind of like infrastructure building, um, building teams and and um, looking forward to where God is leading our ministry and trying to take steps to um, build supports around that. We had a beautiful retreat with our board and our advisory committee, just getting away together and praying together and dreaming together, just mm. being present together. And that was so good. But we also... We got to get off the radar a bit for spring break mm-hmm. with Ezra and with Lila. And that was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Came back and celebrated Easter. Looking forward to promises of resurrection and celebrating what Jesus has done for us alongside family. That was good. Yeah. And Ezra's birthday. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> 16. That sounds so old. Oh, my goodness. What? <laughs> We'll talk about that later. I know. I but, get a little weepy when yeah, I think yeah, about well, it, honestly. <laughs> we got to keep it together. Um, well, coming up, though, let me say this. Uh, we got a Wayfair Worship Night coming up mm-hmm. just to mark mark the two-year anniversary of launching the Brave Way Home. And it's probably a good window to throw this out there. Like, if if you're like, hey, what even is this? Like, I, if you're a new listener and you haven't been journeying with us for very long, the best way to learn more about who we are and what we do and how we do it and why we do it is go to the website, thebravewayhome.com. You can check it out. There's so many ways to learn about the ministry of the Brave Way Home. There's so many ways to connect, whether that's 
email or social media or whatever, but there's also a ton of ways to partner with us. So we would love to see what serves you best. Yeah, and while you're at the website, there is a link on the calendar page that gives you all the details about Wayfarer Worship Night coming up this Friday. So if you're in the area and you want to come to our backyard and just sing some songs to King Jesus alongside of us, lean into that Wayfarer posture of looking forward, welcoming promises from a distance. We would love to have you join us. Yeah, we're going to just test the limits of our backyard. (laughs) It's going to be good. Yeah. So here we are beginning a new season of the podcast and we want to be able to give time and attention to both the grief that we know but also the hope that we know yeah and a lot of that is just because coming up this summer will be four years now of Kala's rescue to heaven like four years of figuring out life without her here trusting God to redeem the time to redeem the years And springtime for us, well, it brings with it a rapid fire of really hard anniversary marks in Cal's journey, ones that are forever etched in our minds. And so we wanted to give this season an opportunity to just speak to that grief that we know and the hope that we know Mm -hmm. and pronounce it loudly Mm -hmm. because we have a living hope. And because of that living hope, we live in hope now. Right. But it... It still comes with a cost. Right. But I think there is something about meeting these moments, um, wrapping these these times in these conversations about who we know, what we know is true, about what is temporary and what is eternal, about promises that we welcome from a distance. There's something about being able to speak these truths out loud to each other that helps us meet these moments faithfully. And so that's our plan this season is just to kind of lean into some of the things that God has been continually teaching us in our grief. Um, Some of the things that we have learned reluctantly, but God has been faithful to be present and to be near and to be sustaining and giving strength as we move forward toward the promises. Yeah. And so this episode, we're going to just start talking about maybe a little bit of building a toolbox to meet moments of grief well, Mm. to meet them faithfully. You know, if you've listened to us talk before, you maybe are familiar with us talking about the backpack metaphor that the way we see discipleship more so as like just things to invite people to, to show up for. It's like, what are the tools that we're putting in your backpack Mm -hmm. that better equip you to walk faithfully with Jesus when we're not walking side by side? And so our our heart is to always put as many things as is possible in your backpack to equip you. And maybe in this conversation, it's like, well, you already have these tools. Maybe you just need to re- be reminded that you have these tools in your backpack. Maybe maybe some of these tools just need some TLC, right? Like they just need a new handle. Um, but either way, we want to put what we can in your backpack to meet moments of grief well. Right. And maybe you're not walking in a season of grief right now. Um, but the truth is that grief is is something, it's just part of the human experience. It's something that we're all going to encounter at one time or another. And so if these tools that go in your backpack are not necessarily something that you take out right now and use right now, we hope that you'll be equipped with that um, 
ability to be able to meet those moments when they come because because life in this broken world is going to um, lead you to some moments of grief. And we just um, would would love for the honor of being able to serve you in some way in those seasons, even if you're not yet there at those points. Yeah, so our roles are maybe just as outfitters right now. Mm-hmm. We're just going to put what we can in your backpack and trust that God will, will use it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole heartbeat of the Brave Way Home, the story of the Brave Way Home, we're talking about the way we follow the evidence of those who have walked that road before us. Mm-hmm. We look for that evidence, and it's such a beautiful metaphor for discipleship. And I think it matters so much when we look at grief. I know in our grief, in my grief, it has mattered to me to learn from people who have walked a similar roads, who know pain, who know loss. They don't know my loss the way that I do, and I don't know their loss the way that they do. But people who are familiar with grief, familiar with sorrow, um, because you want to know how to walk faithfully forward, if it's even possible. And so the evidence of the people who have have been there before becomes, I mean, absolutely like something you grab onto. Um, and so that's been just part of the metaphor, the, the, the power of the metaphor of the Brave Way Home is remembering that we're not the ones who have paved this road. We're not the ones who who are, are making this this pathway. We are following a, a way maker. We are following Jesus because he has given us so much, everything that we need to navigate all seasons of life. And so we're, it's just following the the shepherd, the way maker on the, yeah. on the road well, home. And so many people have put so much in our backpacks. Mm-hmm. We just want to make sure that we are passing them on. Yeah. And I know for many when you enter into these types of conversations, especially with grief or heartache, like we we come with a bundle of expectations, don't we? Like we we come with all kinds of things that we carry with us. Sometimes we are tired or we are weary. Sometimes we're distracted, we're stressed, we're scattered, we're spread thin. Sometimes we're just busy or we're hurried. But that doesn't mean we can't be hopeful and expectant. And so no matter where you're at in that spectrum of things, we hope that this that this season and these conversations will serve you well. Yeah. And something you always say that I think is 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 you know true is that um, we're all navigating grief of some sort. Sometimes we just don't know what to call it. We're all navigating dif- disappointment or or um, disillusionment or or how we deal with the things that life is throwing at us. Maybe we don't know how to exactly put the word to it, but it's grief. It's, it's the idea of things did not look the way that I wanted them they, to. They did not turn out the way that I wanted them to. This is not what I would have chosen, or this is just really, really hard. And I think there's a power in, in acknowledging that what you're walking through is hard. It's not weak faith to notice that this is painful. It's not... It's not sinful to experience sorrow, but grief is something that is is universal. It's something that everybody's going to um, experience. And sometimes it's like monumental grief that marks you forever. And sometimes it's piece after piece of layer after layer of disappointment. And that's grief too. 
but it, I think everybody does experience it. We just don't always have the label to put with it. But hopefully this season will just give you some time, a space to just stretch out your heart muscles, to allow there to be some time and like some space, some attention given to unwinding all those parts of our souls that get so um, wound up so tightly because of our busyness or our hectic schedules where we're stretched thin, we're maxed out, or where maybe we're running from those feelings where we can't allow ourselves to settle down way too far into our own heart and into our own thoughts because everything catches up and we just got to keep moving because we don't want to deal with that. We just want this season to be a chance for you to breathe deep, to give you some permission to feel like maybe a divine time to open up that grief box and look carefully at what your heart is feeling and listen carefully for what the Spirit is speaking to you and prayerfully recognize that you're, you're not alone. There are so many of us in similar situations and similar roads that we can link arms together and walk forward faithfully. We, we talk sometimes about this book that has been such a big, profound part of um, our grief journey. It's called Tracks of a Fellow Struggler. It's by John Claypool. Um, and he wrote in uh, the foreword, he said, there are no experts in this field for we all grieve in our own unique ways. However, there can be helpful exchanges between individuals. Someone once said, you alone can do your grief work, but you do not have to do it alone. I believe this is true. While I cannot do your grieving for you or you for me, we can together in honest and tender companionship be. May this be the case in the time that follows, and may you find added courage in the realization that you are not alone. Brave, brave journey. Yeah. And we're no experts, right? But we we do know grief intimately, and we are familiar with deep, deep sorrow and deep, deep joy because of our deep, deep love. We're familiar with pain beyond our vocabulary. I fumble through it all the time trying to find words that that can capture uh, some of that pain. But we know what the darkness looks like and and we know that there's no value in comparing or competing over pain. But we do know it intimately and we know that God promises to meet us in it and walk us through it and transform us more and more into his Christ likeness. Mm. Because again, the truths that we keep coming back to, and, and many of you have heard us say this before, helpless doesn't mean hopeless. And the worst things are not the last things mm. because there is great joy ahead. Grief, it comes in all different shapes and sizes and expressions, and it moves at different paces. And so as we enter into this season, all these disclaimers we're throwing out here. We want you to know that you have permission to grieve. Like you have permission to lament. You have permission to honestly, authentically express your emotions. And we want, yes, we want our emotions to submit to the Lord's authority. But you have permission to grieve. And you can try to suppress it, postpone it, or outrun it. But it will catch up to you because grief is inevitable. We'll encounter it in one way or another. And I think it's wise to spend time thinking about how we will. And like you said a little bit ago, like reluctant learners. Mm -hmm. But we feel such a heavy burden 
to run to those who are also experiencing deep sorrow, to come alongside fellow wayfarers and remind them that home is up ahead and we have a shepherd to walk us there. And I think there is an element of per- of preparation that I think everybody, especially followers of Jesus, are going to need in regards of how to navigate disappointment because we're honestly told to expect it. We're ex- told to expect pain, expect hardship and hostility and persecution and rejection and suffering and trouble. Our surrender to Jesus doesn't exempt us from pain, but it does equip us with what we need to endure it faithfully. It makes me think of something our pastor told us years and years ago um, in our church in Illinois. He said very clearly in a series on Job, as he was um, starting it out, he said, My job as your pastor is to prepare you for the day of calamity so that when it comes, you will not curse God. And I have heard that so many times just echoing in my mind as I have experienced different seasons of grief in life, but so profoundly as I have um, been having to live in grief, learning how to live without Kala in my arms. Like it has echoed in my mind that I am to be prepared so that when the day of calamity comes, I will not curse God. Yeah. So we're going to do our best to put some things in your backpack and either for now or for the seasons to come, whether whether you're grieving right now or you're walking with people who are that are in pain or disappointment, it's it's not something unfamiliar to anyone. I think we're all grieving something. We may just not know what to call it or, or have the language to navigate it. But I think our nature tells us that pain is to be avoided at all costs. At least our culture tells us that, right? Mm-hmm. To insulate ourselves, push back from any threat. Culture even tells us to hurry it along and sometimes... Even in the context of the life of the church, the expectation is to expedite it because it's making everybody uncomfortable. (laughs) It is so valuable to talk about what grief is and what grief isn't. You know, in Psalm 62, it says, pour out your heart to God. And so if we've been given permission, it's good to bring maybe some definition. Okay, so a simple definition of grief. Deep sorrow, overwhelming emotion connected to loss. So, so what are some truths about grief that we can share? Like, I know this is not an exhaustive list, um, but, but as we've been forced to learn, these are just some truths that we've identified along the way as we've become more and more familiar with ours. Mm. So, Go through the list, maybe? Does that sound okay? All right. So here's number one for you. Grief is not spiritual weakness or immaturity. It's a reality in a broken world. It's been so impactful for me to learn that sorrow is not sinful and suffering is not faithless. So many times I feel like people expect, even in the church, that your faith would insulate you from pain, that it would make you so it doesn't hurt as bad, that because we have hope, we don't have pain now. And that's just simply not true. And so when those paradigms collide, you have to know that there is a solid foundation underneath it. There are so many examples of the faithful people of God experiencing sorrow. 
um, all if you go through the list of every single one of the first apostles, the the sorrow and the suffering that they endured in their lives is profound. And of course, Jesus is our suffering Savior. His life is marked by the deepest sorrow. He is acquainted with grief, familiar even with praying for this cup to pass from him. He's even familiar with praying for something and God faithfully telling him no. That Jesus would submit obediently to what God has for him, walk it out faithfully, even when it led to a cross. And I think sometimes in the church we get confused. We think that super spiritual people won't feel pain or that their faith allows them to get over it really quickly. But I I haven't found that to be true in my life at all. And I don't think that is true at all. Like we grieve with hope, but we still grieve. Because I think sometimes the church just wants to platform victory, but they ignore the suffering that leads to it. Like like celebrating, that would be like celebrating the resurrection without acknowledging the agony of the cross. We can't skip over the hard parts of our story. We can't pick and choose what's valuable because God doesn't do that. He shows us both sides. He shows us hunger and satisfaction, famine and hardest harvest, mourning and joy, dark and light, wilderness and promised land. We know that there is a process to get to the promise. And I think that is absolutely vital that we understand that suffering is not sin. We are called to endure hardship like good faithful servants, good faithful soldiers. We are called to enduring pain, but we have a promise ahead to walk toward. Yeah. Grief is not spiritual weakness or immaturity. Like we are complex beings and we are capable of experiencing more than one emotion at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's why we can we can know deep sorrow and know deep joy. It's possible to have the hope of heaven and still hurt like hell. We live in a broken world, and believers are going to encounter disappointment and hardship. Faithful people are going to suffer. And that's just part of the reality that we live in. Grief is a reality. It's not a weakness. And I feel like, yes, we have so many examples in scripture of faithful people who um, have endured suffering faithfully, but we also have models of lament in scripture. We have these scripts that God has given us that express so much of our pain, our sorrow, our confusion. These are Psalms that, that come as both individual, but also communal. They're, they're personal, but they're also, um, like for a group of people and lament is actually it's it's so poignant and perfect to express a broken heart it is our permission slip to grieve to mourn and we can sometimes feel that need like we need to tidy up our emotions tidy up our thoughts and make them nice and clean and and crisp before we are going to be able to pray them to god but that's not true in the psalms it's not true in lament psalms because we see just emotion that is that is it's fierce and we we think that sometimes we have to approach god with this intense sense of of toned down emotion like it, we, we think of it as reverence like we're going to offend God's sensibilities or he doesn't already know our thoughts or we think of it as submission like as if we're refusing to acknowledge the way that our broken and bloodied hearts fight for faith if that's going to somehow calm our hearts but lament psalms allow us to take our worst 
to God. It's not sanitized. It's not cleaned up. It's not stifled or performing, but it's raw and it's real and it's messy and untamed. They take us at our worst and they show us that there is still hope because they frame our thoughts and emotions about God that we just don't know what to do with. I've read somewhere that rage belongs before God, disappointment belongs before God, brokenness belongs before God. We don't have to wrestle them by ourselves, but we take them to him. And I feel like there's there's a fruit of, of expressing that longing and that pain and that suffering to God through lament because we're formed as we do. We use the Bible's pattern of desperate prayer. We bring our pain to the Father. We share it with him. We yield it to him. And we are transformed because we wrap our real emotions with the firm and faithful character of God We remind ourselves of who God is in the midst of the lies of grief, and we feel his comfort because we find him when we come to him, and in his presence, our lament can become a place of hope. Amen. Yeah. We have permission to grieve. You know, the second thing I think we want to highlight is something that our friend Brian Combs always says, and that is grief is universal and unique. It looks different for everyone, but here's something I think we would add to it. Yes, it's universal and it's unique, but it can also be united. I know for us, we're a team, we're a family, and all of us, each of us, we're familiar with grief in some way, in a different way, a different story, but those stories are locking arms. My mind goes to Psalm 31, like when David literally says, Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and my body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. It is a very unique expression of grief. And I feel like I can relate to it. <laughs> There's something united going on in there. Like I know in my in my own personal story, like, my processing slowing down, like my senses somehow being both dulled, but seemingly heightened my sensitivity at the same time in some different ways. Like in the natural things that we, we wonder and wrestle with, like diminished bandwidth, right? Like there's a, there's a personal uniqueness and there's something that everyone can relate to, the universal, but it can also be united. Mm-hmm. Back to that Claypool quote, you alone can do your grief work, but you don't have to do it alone. There can be such immense intimacy in shared pain. There's that a deep bond that forms as you share love, as you share grief. But it does require vulnerability because your grief is your grief and no one should try to take it away from you. No one should try to make you feel better because that's not always for your benefit. Sometimes that's because other people are uncomfortable with your grief, but find the people who will sit with you in your grief, who will share the load with you, who will feel the pain and walk into those uncomfortable places alongside with you, who will go to God with you. Because the plan is not to erase your grief, but to let God transform it, to bring it to him, for him to put his hands on it and infuse it with hope. Yeah. Here's the third thing. Grief journeys are not linear. Um, It's not stages of grief to measure progress. 
Yeah, I think like if you've done any study of grief, um, whether in a book or videos or curriculum of any kind, you're going to hear language of denial and anger and bargaining and depression and acceptance as parts of grief. And I, I wouldn't argue with any of that, but there's often a misconception that comes with it that it's linear and that you just kind of graduate from one phase to the next. I know a lot of churches have fully embraced that, and I think it's led to a lot of misunderstanding, and, and it's left some feeling behind, and some feel like they're done. But I think it leads to so much confusion in our personal lives, like language like, I thought I was past this. I thought I was done with this. Why am I feeling these emotions? I had already graduated from that phase, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like that arbitrary timeline that someone else maybe gives us to gauge or project our progress in our grief. I remember being told, I mean, have you even been angry yet? I remember my mom being told like, oh, you're still crying? Like we use language in a linear mindset and we adopt an arbitrary timeline. And I, I've heard it over and over and over again, the, the truth that there's not an expiration date. And at the same time, it doesn't mean that we stay in our grief in that place like we learn to carry it differently but you just can't follow someone else's projections of progress because that can become either an excuse or an added burden and guilt yeah. number four is that grief impacts you physically cognitively emotionally spiritually there is no part of life that escapes the the effects of grief there is an actual physiological expression that comes from it all of your ollies every dimension i know for me personally the the physical ache mm. the cognitive fog the loss of appetite the weight gain the the emotional rawness but the the threshold of stress changing drastically yeah. i know i was surprised just genuinely surprised by just outbursts of anger where my mind was just constantly spinning with no traction and I couldn't seem to find anything stable to set my thoughts on or I stopped caring for or about my body at all um and just recognizing like that my heart is in a constant wail of pain just asking God to change this repetitively over and over the same prayer because your mind is reeling you have had a trauma and you are trying to figure out how to live with it how to carry it yeah I just so yeah number four is that grief impacts you in all of your always there's no compartmentalized piece of your life that goes untouched. Mm -hmm. But here's, here's number five on our list, that grief demands that you deal with your theology of suffering, like what it is and why it is. And I think if we're going to ask why, we have to be willing to ask why not. And I think there's a difference between God causing something and God allowing something. And the theology of suffering as, as to why God allows a suffering, I think we can see that sometimes suffering is because of our sin, our own sinful choices. And sometimes suffering is because of other people's sin and other people's choices in the way that it affects us. But sometimes suffering is just a result of being broken people who live in a broken world. The world is not as it should be. We are not as we should be. 
there are awful things that happen in the brokenness of this world and it is all because of the result of living in a sin-stained place like as I was going through just the initial shock and awfulness of learning how to live without Kala here in this world I was reading through Exodus and there's so many parallels that just grabbed my heart between the Israelites walking through wilderness toward a promised land and what I was experiencing it's because like we're not home yet the full satisfaction of the promised land is not in the wilderness it is ahead here we ache we groan we thirst we hunger but there all satisfaction is set before us we just have to get there and so we wrestle with the now and the not yet. We wrestle with what we are experiencing now, but the promise of what is ahead. And that is what propels us forward. Sometimes suffering is something we have to endure in order to get to the satisfaction ahead. And I don't think we have any way of understanding the magnitude of the fall. Like we've never experienced creation as it was meant to be. All we've known of it is its brokenness. And don't hear me wrong. Yes, the beautiness in that. But we fail to grasp just how broken this world is until we encounter deep loss. Mm. Like our suffering is not his fault because the gospel is that he didn't leave us in it. Yeah. Like there, there is no pain that you know that he doesn't. But I know for me, Romans 8, repeatedly, Romans has been pretty helpful for my heart. But right, like when, when Paul is saying that he considers that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, like mm. the creation waits in eager expectation, right? Like, like that's a big deal, <laughs> right? It's just for now. It's not for forever. It's just for now. But the suffering that comes in between, it refines our character. I've said this over and over and over again. It, I am more and more aware of my limitedness, but more and more in awe of his limitlessness. Mm. And that's why, back to Romans, right? Like Romans 5, they're like, we can rejoice in the glory of God, no matter the suffering, no matter the circumstance, because suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character character hope and what does hope do it does not disappoint disappoint. why because he has poured out his love into our hearts by the holy spirit i think that there is such an importance to remembering that god doesn't cause our suffering but he can use it yeah he can use it and he will not allow what he will not redeem. He will use it for your for his glory and for your good. And it's promise after promise in the Bible, James 1 3, when your faith is tested, then your endurance has a chance to grow. First Peter 4, 1 through 2, if you've suffered for Christ, then you're finished with sin and you won't spend your lives chasing your own desires. In the message, it says, think of your suffering as a weaning from that old sinful habit of always expecting to get your own way. Then you'll be able to live out your days free to pursue what God wants instead of being tyrannized by what you want. And I think it's so hard, but yielded suffering is a crucible for holiness. He will not waste your pain. There is purpose in it. He will not waste your pain, but you 
can, if you hide it away from him, if you bury it, if, if you let it fester, if you hide it away from his light and his presence and his truth, then you can waste such a terribly costly thing. But if you will yield it, he will use it. If he will allow it, he will redeem it. Because suffering just reveals where our hope rests. There is this unique relationship between suffering and glory. Suffering and glory that God's will will often lead through suffering, but the journey will end in glory, in joy. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says, That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and they won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen, for the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Our suffering is not wasted, it is producing glory that will last forever. Habakkuk 3.18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. It's a choice. Mm. And people who praise Jesus in the dark lead people to the light. Here's number six on our list. Grief is both disorienting and reorienting. It's refining. Like again, God wastes nothing. Just as we're saying, like he can use even the deepest pain when it is yielded, all of our swirling thoughts, trying to take them captive. What do we do? We make them obedient to Christ. But if we don't, it is so easy in grief to feel betrayal, to feel disappointment, confusion. It's easy to embrace myths like, well, I follow God. He'll, he'll protect me from suffering. Like we will tell ourselves that like, well, I, well, I didn't. I must have done something wrong. Like it's easy to believe that we did something wrong. Like that's why the pain is. And just as you said before, sometimes it's because it is, but not always. I think it's easy to then believe that God didn't keep his promise. And it takes you back to that theology of suffering. Like when Jesus is talking to the grieving hearts, right? His, his disciples on that last night before going to the cross the next day in John 16, where he says, in this world, you will have trouble. He's like, I told you that so that you may have peace, right? Like, take heart. I've overcome the world. The tension of that verse, as Jesus is speaking to these confused and anxious and grieving disciples, he's telling them, you've got to expect pain, but to embrace peace. You've got to take courage and you've got to claim victory because it reorients our perspective. And when we're going to talk some more about that up the road here, like probably the next episode, but it reorients our perspective. It's both disorienting and reorienting because it's refining. Here's number seven on our list. Grief may block or cloud my view of God but it doesn't mean he's absent. We may not feel his presence, but he hasn't left. And that's, I think, so important because I know I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that he didn't lose me, that I didn't slip through the cracks. But he tells me you are held securely when you walk through the deep waters, when you walk through the fire, I'll be with you. And it's, it's true that suffering is not 
evidence that God has abandoned you. It is evidence that he wants to come near. We know in the Bible it says that he comes near to the brokenhearted. It's not evidence that he has stepped away or left you. It is evidence that he is bound and determined to come near to you. When you are at your lowest, God can come the closest. He's near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Mm. And this broken heart, this crushed spirit, needs that nearness. Number eight, it's in your darkest moments that you're often the most sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I think there's a big difference between being transparent and being vulnerable when we can look our our pain in the face and actively lament our sorrows in true vulnerability. Yes, it's transparent. God can see everything, but vulnerability is a choice. It's when we open our heart to God. There's a C.S. Lewis quote that says, uh, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. There is just something about being face down in the dirt with nothing to hold on to, nothing to help you stand up that makes you recognize your immense dependence on God. It makes you wide open, raise your arms in in questioning and in in asking for God's presence to come near and for the ability for you to experience God's peace, even in your pain. He may not take it away, but he will feel it with you. And that is a kind of love that is hard to value until you need his peace so desperately and you have no other way of surviving. That is in your darkest moments that the Holy Spirit can come the closest and speak the loudest. And just as we started... By saying we're no experts, we're just reluctant learners. Our hope is to just pass along some of these truths to you and bring definition not just to grief along the way, but to hope. Because hope is a certain expectation. It's a confident expectation. It's that being on your tippy toes, not wishful thinking. This is complete confidence. For he who promised is faithful. Lamentations 3 says, Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, The Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in Him. And we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Mm -hmm.